Built on foundations dating back to the Roman occupation of Britain, this castle, constructed in 1258, has been the focus of studies for over 30 years, due to the incredible frequency of the paranormal occurrences here. Occurrences that include babies crying, children singing and shadowy figures. An experienced team of paranormal investigators came to the castle to conduct their own investigation, but no sooner had their ghost hunt began that the phantoms within the tapestry room, the most active room in this 800 year old fortress, sent them flying into the wilderness of the Lake District as they feared for their lives. Tonight join me as we head to the beautiful Lake District and visit Moncaster Castle. Welcome to episode 19 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet Earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location, and of course, the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week we head to the Lake District in Cumbria and ask just how haunted is Moncaster Castle? Listener discretion is advised, as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder, and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. Moncaster Castle is in Ravenglass, a coastal hamlet within the beautiful Lake District, in the heart of Cumbria. Ravenglass lies on the estuary of three rivers. The Esk the Might and the Ert. Ravenglass became an important naval base for the Romans in the 2nd century, and 500 men were stationed at the Glanaventa Fort here in the 4th century. The lands at Muncaster were granted to Alan de Pentatone in 1208, and over 800 years later remain in the Pennington family today. The castle was built in 1258 by Gamel de Muncaster, 
The foundations of the castle stand upon Roman remains dating back to around 79 AD, with the site being chosen by the Romans due to the strategic importance of guarding the river Esk. The name Moncaster contains the Latin word castra, meaning fort or military encampment. The oldest remaining part of the castle is the Peel Tower, built in around 1325. A Peel Tower is a type of fortified watchtower, common in the English-Scottish border region. Peace between England and Scotland had ceased in 1296, and the county town of Cumberland, as it was at the time, was the target of many Scottish raids. Few Scottish prisoners were taken at Moncaster Castle, but those who were were kept in dark, dank cells in the bowels of the castle. There were little money spent on providing for them, and many of them starved to death. Others attempted in vain to prolong their own life by eating the dead. In 1463, Sir John Pennington sheltered the fugitive King Henry VI after defeat at the Battle of Hexham. Having been refused hospitality at the nearby Erton Hall, the King was found sheltering from the elements by some shepherds who took him to Moncaster, where he was welcomed and given shelter. The King was so grateful that he presented John with a small bowl made of green glass and decorated in gold and white enamel, which has become known as the Luck of Moncaster as the king claimed that as long as this cup remains unbroken, the Pennington family will prosper and never lack a male heir. King Henry VI went on to explain that this cup was his own holy water stoop. Unfortunately for the king, his own luck was to run out shortly afterwards. He had lived a very stressful life, littered with periods of insanity. Being the only child of King Henry V, he had succeeded him to the throne as King of England in 1422, when he was aged only nine months. He reigned until 1461, and he was returned to the throne in October of 1470, a reign which lasted less than six months, as in April of 1471, he was imprisoned in the Tower of London, where he died during the night on the 21st into the 22nd of May. It was said that he had died of grief, having heard that his son, Edward of Westminster, Prince of Wales, had been killed on the 4th of May at the Battle of Tewkesbury, it is widely suspected, however, that his successor, Edward VI, who was crowned the morning following Henry's death, ordered his murder. Moncaster Castle was extended, rebuilt and redesigned with almost every generation of Pennington, but by 1770 the castle, under the ownership of Sir Joseph Pennington, was no longer occupied. His son, Sir John Pennington, was wed in 1778 and decided to make the castle a home for his new family. But when he arrived to inspect the castle, he was dismayed with how ruinous the once grand house had become. So much so that parts of the building collapsed as he was inspecting it. He invested £6,000, which was a huge sum of money at the time, to rebuild and restore the castle, including the great hall being changed into a dining room. In 1783, Sir John had a three-storey octagonal tower built as a monument to King Henry VI, a mile northeast of the castle. It is said to mark the spot that the shepherds found the king wandering over 300 years earlier. In the 1830s the castle's north tower was built to complement the Peel Tower and provide a symmetry to the appearance of the castle. In 1862, Gamel Augustus Pennington, the fourth Baron Moncaster, engaged fashionable architect Anthony Salvin to oversee alterations and further rebuilding of the castle. Salvin covered the courtyard and converted it into the present-day drawing room, as well as altering the 12th century Moncaster church within the estate. 
present-day Muncaster Castle stands within an estate covering 1,800 acres, 77 of which are fabulous woodland gardens containing plants from all over the globe, including flowering shrubs from the Sino-Himalayan region. Each passing season sees the gardens awash with colourful foliage, and in 2009, the independent newspaper voted Muncaster Castle number one in their list of the top 50 best spring days out. John Ruskin described it as the gateway to paradise. This is a view that the majority of visitors to Muncaster Castle are likely to share. But for others, this couldn't be further from the truth, as there are also the visitors who encounter something so dark, so terrifying, that they flee from Muncaster in abject fear, vowing never to return. It is this occurrence, which happens all too often, which has earned Muncaster Castle the reputation of being one of the most haunted castles in England. Scientists have been investigating Muncaster Castle since 1992 and have found the castle so fascinating and some of the occurrences so inexplicable that they are still working alongside the owners to try and explain for the cause for the paranormal phenomena which is reported on an almost a daily basis. Muncaster's best known ghost is that of Tom Fool, a close friend of William Shakespeare whose real name was Tom Skelton. He was a steward and a jester at Muncaster Castle during the late 16th century and the word tomfoolery derives from his name. A magnificent portrait of Tom holding his last will and testament can be seen within the castle. Despite the usual image of a jester being one of fun and innocence, Tom is one of the darkest, most despicable characters in the history of Moncaster Castle. He is said to have been responsible for countless deaths. He could often be found sat beneath a large chestnut tree, and one of his ideas of a joke would be to direct anybody who asked him for directions towards some nearby quicksand, rather than in the correct direction. Some of them realised in time to save themselves from an almost certain death, however many were never seen again. Tom's master was Sir Ferdinand Pennington, and he paid Tom to kill a local carpenter who his daughter, Hellwise, had fallen in love with. Tom relished the task, and disposed of the poor carpenter with the utmost brutality. To prove the unwelcome suitor had been taken care of, Tom hacked his head from his shoulders to take back to Moncaster Castle and present to his master. Ever since this evil murder was committed, the ghost of a man without a head has haunted the tapestry room of the castle. Ironically, it is said that Tom died in around 1600, in the very quicksand to which he had sent so many to their death. He was drunk and took a wrong turn returning to the castle late one night. His body was never recovered. Tom Fool's spirit remains, watching over the castle. Most of the ghostly happenings are attributed to him. However, with the myriad of other phantoms that reside within Muncaster's ancient walls, any of them could be to blame. The ghost of King Henry VI is said to have haunted Muncaster Castle since his death in 1471, as this was one of the few places where he experienced security and felt welcome. He is said to be active in the room in which he was hidden, the carved oak bedstead in which he slept remains in the same room to this very day. The tragic ghost of Mary Bragg can often be seen wandering around the grounds of the castle and along local roads. Mary was a pretty young housekeeper in nearby Ravenglass at the turn of the 19th century and she fell in love with an Irishman in his 30s who worked as a footman at Moncaster Castle. Mary was head over heels in love with this man and he occupied her every waking moment. She was the happiest woman in the world. Unfortunately for Mary, he was not the man that she thought, 
and he had a string of other lovers in the locality. Mary's attention became so great that one of her rivals for the man's affection decided to take action. In the winter of 1805, two local men were persuaded to dispose of Mary for the cost of a night's drinking. The two men went to the modest cottage that Mary shared with her parents late one night and knocked on the door. Mary answered wearing her nightclothes and slippers and the men told her that her lover had been badly injured in an accident and was crying her name, desperate to see her. Her heart began to beat in her chest and she feared for the man she loved, so despite the late hour she grabbed her shawl and followed the men out into the night. They took her towards Moncaster Castle on a horse and cart as she wept, eager to find out the severity of her beloved's injuries. As they neared the castle, they took a sudden detour into dense woodland and stopped. Mary was confused. She stepped down from the cart, demanded to know why they had stopped when Moncaster Castle was so close, and she was desperate to be at her lover's side. Her anger turned to fear as the two men began to approach her. One of them told her to shut up and punched her. Mary fell to the ground. They dragged her now hysterical Mary to a large tree, and both men began to sexually assault her as she began to scream out for help. Both men knew there was no chance of anybody being near enough to hear her at this hour. After both men had carried out their evil sexual attack on Mary, she fell to the ground, crying her heart out in shame and disgust. The men simply laughed at her. She prayed that this would be the end of her ordeal. However, the men had not finished yet. One of them grabbed her by the head and smashed her face into the tree, while his accomplice laughed and cheered him on. Mary screamed and begged for her life, but the attack continued. Her face was rammed into the tree time and time again. Her nose was smashed apart and she could no longer see, unsure as to whether she'd been blinded or if she could not see due to the amount of blood that was gushing out of her face. She felt faint and was close to passing out as one of the men picked up a large rock and brought it down on the top of her head. Her suffering was brought to an end as she was killed immediately. Her body was found in a badly decomposed state floating in the River Esk a few weeks after her mother had reported her disappearance. Identifying the body initially proved difficult, as eels had taken to living in the hollow that had previously been Mary's face. Her murderers were never caught. Witnesses have reported her appearing as a melancholy white lady who spends eternity searching for the man she loved so dearly, a man who truly never deserved her love. In the 1380s, a man was thrown from the Peel Tower in a row over hunting rights. He had ascended the tower to point out land owned by his family, and he was thrown to his death. There have been several reports of a man seen fallen from the tower over the last century, but when witnesses rushed to the area where the man should have hit the ground, expecting to inevitably find a grisly scene of death, as it would be impossible to survive such a fall, there's no sign whatsoever of a body. The tapestry room has gained notoriety in recent years and is believed to be the paranormal epicentre of the castle. Babies have been heard crying, children have been heard singing nursery rhymes and the soft comforting voice of a lady has been heard as if trying to calm the children. It is said that one of the children could be the spirit of Margaret Susan Pennington who died of screaming fits at a young age in 1871. There is also a claim that many years ago three children who were sleeping in the room that is now the tapestry room disappeared during the night and are now buried within the walls. 
For many years, the link between the sounds of children in the tapestry room proved to be a mystery. But James Cartland, archivist and family friend, uncovered some plans from the 19th century, which showed that during the extensive rebuilding work that started in 1862, part of the old nursery was incorporated into the present-day tapestry room. The door handle of the tapestry room has been reported to rattle and turn as if somebody is trying to get into the room, but when investigated, there's never anyone there. The temperature in this room is also extremely unstable. It has been known to plummet in mere moments. So cold that even on the hottest summer's day, visitors have been able to see their breath. Cameras and mobile phones have turned themselves on and off inexplicably. The Frost Pennington family who live in the castle today won't spend the night in the tapestry room. Peter Frost Pennington was once quoted as saying, I've lived here 20 years, and in all those years I've never dared sleep in the tapestry room. I'm not that stupid. Even during the day, visitors with no prior knowledge of the tapestry room's reputation have suffered panic attacks, others have complained of chest pains. At night, the room comes alive and seems to attempt to envelop anybody brave enough to face the tapestry room with the pure evil that seems to reside within. Several visitors who have attempted to get to sleep in that room have quickly found it to be the worst night's sleep that they are ever likely to get if they manage to get to sleep at all. Some have been alarmed by a large black figure standing over them in the antique four-poster bed, often accompanied by a heavy weight on their chest, stopping them from moving or crying out. Others have been thrown from the bed. In 2008, a group of experienced paranormal investigators visited Moncaster Castle, but none of them would stay in the room alone. So they stayed as a group, and 20 minutes into their investigation, they all saw the black shadow of a child walk through the room. Their investigation ended after just 21 minutes. It is possible to spend the night in the tapestry room on a ghost sit, and many brave visitors have chosen to do so with some spectacular results. Here are just a couple of reports from these overnight vigils. A report in January 2003 said, Approximately 1am a high-pitched growl slash whine was heard near the window. Heard again around 1.40am. One of our group felt somebody trying to grab the back of his neck. At 2.40am the noise was heard again. Around 4am a baby was heard crying. Very peculiar and strange but definitely there. In June 2004 a report said a definite presence could be felt in the room. The temperature would suddenly drop as if an ice cold presence had entered the room. Some of the group felt cold down one side. Could hear scraping noises coming from the fire and a noise like someone playing the flute. I spoke to Sue Denton in 2010 when I was writing my book Ghostly Cumbria. She was the hospitality director at Moncaster Castle at the time. She told me that she isn't sure if she believes in ghosts, but she recounted two experiences to me. After a wedding one Saturday evening we were clearing up. The wedding party had used the croquet set on the front lawn during the day, and I decided to take it back to the North Tower for storage. The passageway and entrance were very very gloomy, but not black dark, and because I wasn't bothered in the slightest and could just about see I didn't put a light on. The key to the large downstairs storage room is difficult to turn as the lock is upside down. I propped the croquet set up against the wall and took hold of the round doorknob which was loose and I tried to turn the key which wouldn't budge. All of a sudden the doorknob turned in my hand 
which gave me a real start and possibly started my hackles rising a bit. Anyway, I persevered and took hold of the doorknob again, only to find it rock solid. My mind went into overdrive then. I left the croquet set where it was and legged it extremely quickly. On another occasion we had outside caterers looking after the wedding guests in the dining room, and I was on my own in the great hall. It was evening and it was dark outside and I was sitting in a large chair at the bottom of the room on my own. The shutters were drawn in the hall and I was reading a book. I glanced up and to my right and saw a flash of light streak from the guardroom entrance and go across the room to the entrance of the library. I can only describe it as a sort of sideways lightning gone in a flash. I kept looking up quickly to see if it would happen again, but it didn't and I wasn't upset by it. Around a decade ago, archaeologist Clifford Jones appeared to have awakened a new spirit to add to the already impressive list of hauntings at Moncaster. He had been investigating the Roman boundaries around Moncaster Castle, and one night he was staying in the Peel Tower, the oldest part of the building, and heard the sound of someone chopping wood. Only he and the lady of the house were in the castle. Clifford went outside into the darkness of the night, and tried to head towards the source of the noise, which appeared to be coming from the site of one of the trenches he was excavating. He couldn't see anyone, so shouted, please stop making that noise, and it stopped immediately. He was a little spooked by this, so ran back inside. He entered the first room he came to, which had a light on. This was the toilet. As he stepped inside, the light bulb blew. He went back onto the landing and continued to climb the tower. As he reached a well-lit landing, that light bulb blew as well. He then went to the lounge, and when he flicked on the light switch, all the bulbs in the room blew. He was so scared by what had happened that he fled the castle, only finding the courage to return three days later. The BBC heard of the happenings around the archaeological dig and contacted a group called Parascience to help investigate the unusual occurrences further. In 2010, I spoke to Anne Winsper, one of the founders of the group, and she told me of what had lain in store for them at Moncaster Castle. She said, Our investigation into Moncaster Castle was prompted by a call from the BBC. Usually when we investigate a location, we arrange a long-term plan, as this allows us to first observe the location at different times of the day, different times of the year, different weather conditions, etc. It also allows us to get a feel for the building. Each building has its own peculiarities, creaks, groans, drafts, etc. We also try to replicate the conditions described by witnesses when an apparent paranormal event is reported. There's no point sitting in the dark at 4am if the ghost is reported as appearing at 3pm in the afternoon while the witness was doing the washing up. Moncaster Castle has quite a history of apparent paranormal activity and with it being a spectacular old building it is impossible to remove the expectancy factor when bringing a group of people in. We were originally called out as the archaeologists working on site had reported some strange happenings. One of these happenings was while working in the courtyard, they reported a sense of something around them being there all the time, although they never caught a glimpse of anyone or anything. There had also been reports of sounds and odd noises coming from the cellar area. Sadly, due to circumstances beyond our control, we were not able to stay in these areas to carry out an overnight investigation but we did visit the basement and spend some time in the courtyard area. Nothing unusual occurred, but both areas did seem to have an atmosphere that could easily unnerve an unsuspecting visitor, especially once dark fell. As these areas would also prove difficult to investigate with the television cameras, 
it was decided that the BBC reporter would be asked to spend the night in the reportedly haunted tapestry room. We checked the room over and nothing appeared unusual, but the room is quite atmospheric, with it being old, having uneven floors and portraits hanging on the wall, all the ingredients of a classic haunted room. The reporter retired to bed in the early hours and we monitored the room with equipment including cameras. After 10 minutes of lying on the bed, we were surprised to see the reporter leap out of bed and run off down the corridor as if the devil was after him. Once we had calmed him down and spoken to him, he described feeling very uncomfortable in the room, a feeling which progressed to sheer terror, causing him to flee at speed. He was obviously very shaken up, but we could find no evidence on either camera or equipment of anything unusual happening. Our team bravely volunteered to spend the rest of the night in the tapestry room, but nothing unusual happened. In fact, I managed a few hours sleep whilst lying on the bed. It is impossible to ignore the atmosphere of a place such as this, and none of our group reported feeling scared or uncomfortable, but the weight of history certainly affects how people respond to buildings. A brief shadow glimpsed out of the corner of the eye is given a very different significance when glimpsed in an old haunted castle than when glimpsed in a modern flat. Leaving the castle doesn't even guarantee safety, as after dark, there has been the sound of growling coming from the castle grounds. The shadow of a huge cat-like creature has also been seen. This is attributed to a lion shot by the last Lord Moncaster whilst in Kenya, with the skull returned to the castle as a trophy. Moncaster Castle is a popular venue for weddings and other functions, and is open to the general public all year round, with seasonally themed events at Halloween and Christmas. The grounds are definitely worthy of your time and include a hawk and owl centre, a maze and the beautiful gardens. Anyone brave enough can spend a night in the tapestry room. It isn't cheap to do at £500 per group at the time of recording with a maximum group size of 8. But if you had the chance to stay in this terrifying place overnight, would you dare? Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at at HowHauntedPod or over on Instagram at HowHauntedPod where you will see photos galore relating to Moncaster Castle. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me directly at rob at how-haunted.com. Feedback, location, suggestions and your own experiences are all more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A episode. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to episodes, you can join the Patreon for less than the price of a pint. You'll also get exclusive episodes where you'll join me on an actual paranormal investigation and hear the audio as it happened. There's five episodes of that nature waiting for you right now. If you aren't a fan of Patreon, or perhaps would prefer to make a one-off donation to the podcast, why not donate £2 to buy me a coffee? All of the information on how you can support How Haunted is in the podcast description and over on the website. If you've enjoyed this episode, if enjoy is the right word, 
then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. It really does help other people to find How Haunted. Next time, I'll escape the British wintertime and head to sunnier climes. In particular, to Long Island in New York, where in 1974, a 23-year-old man shot and killed his parents and his four siblings, two brothers and two sisters. The youngest was only nine years old. He said at his trial in 1975 that the voices inside his head told him to do it. The house was bought a year after the murders by George and Kathy Lutz, but they lasted only a month before fleeing the house, due to the intense levels of paranormal activity. The house is arguably the most famous haunted house in all of the world, number 112 Ocean Avenue, but you might know it by a different name. Is it really as scary as we would be led to believe, or is the reputation down to a movie that was released about the horrendous happenings here? Let's find out together next week, when we dare to step foot inside the Amityville Horror House. Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe, and join me next time when we once again ask the question, How Haunted? How Haunted?